Good morning, Mercy Road Church. Which Mercy student takeover? You ready for it? Yeah. All right. If we haven't met you yet, my name is Trevor, and this is Ben. And I'm sure if you haven't noticed yet, we have students literally taking over everywhere in the building. We have students in the back on cameras, running lights, in the broadcast, out serving coffee and welcoming you in. And I hope, I might have instigated this a little bit, I hope none of them, looking at you right here, threw snowballs at you. I threw some at them, so I hope they didn't throw them back and retaliate. But it's cool. This morning is Mercy Student Takeover, but it's also National Opposite Day, for those of you who didn't know. So it's cool that roles are reversed, and for all the parents in the room, I'm sorry if your child is now going to turn their shirts backwards and walk on their hands and stuff like that. Today is Opposite Day, but it's Mercy Student Takeover, and we're excited to continue talking about what it means to be one church. We've been talking in the past about spiritual apprenticeship, passionate worship, and today we're talking about a unified community and how that relates to multi-generations coming together to be united in one community, in one body for the Lord. And so it's cool that, you know, we're talking about multi-generations, and then the student team is taking over, myself and Ben, and we'll say multi-generations is kind of obvious, but kind of cool. We have, we'll say, the older generation and the younger generation. It's just, it's cool. All right, I admit it, I'm no spring chicken. <laughs> but it's, it, okay, so this is Pastor Ben, if you haven't met him, awesome guy. You. The one thing that's, like, tough for me, and, okay, I had to... <laughs> sort of get counseling a little bit on this, and is that every time he says something, it's linked somehow to an 80s movie reference. And I'm like, dude. I'm an I, 80s guy, I can't help it. I, I don't understand Thank all you. the things Thank he's saying. It's like, okay, so when I first met Ben, first met him, first Yo, time I met you him, can tell him, he says this, he goes, hey, I'm Ben, welcome to the danger zone. <laughs> and I'm like, it's from okay. Ted Gone. I'm like, hey, you can be Maverick, Hubby Goose, and we'll do ministry. And he's just looking at me like, I'm going to back away. I was like, why do you want to be a goose? I don't get it. <laughs> right there. You can be Maverick if you really want to. Anyway, 80s references. I don't understand them, but it's we, we get along and we have my, here's my a good favorite, time. Though. Here's my favorite. I said, I don't know what he was doing, some crazy idea. And I'm like, dude, you mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns. And he's like, what is, what is that? And I'm like, it's from the movie Breakfast Club. He's like, oh, yeah, I used to do that with my brother on Saturday. we get our big bowl and pour cereal and watch SpongeBob and Breakfast Club. That happened regularly. <laughs> but at the same time, okay, so I'm like, I want to do some, some fun stuff. And we'll have this energy. And I want to do things. And I'm like... Ben, keep up. No, so he's Come got on. so much energy, and he's got these crazy ideas, and he's like, Ben, I want to hoop with the kids. I want to play Nerf guns with the kids. I want to do something with Skittles with the kids. And every time he comes up with an idea, I'm thinking, first we got to stop at Walgreens, grab some Icy Hot and some Ibuprofen, <laughs> and can we work that into the budget? <laughs> the one thing that I will say, though, is, is though we have a lot of differences, we unite on one thing, and that is our passion for Jesus. That every kid that comes to Mercy Students will have an opportunity to get more acquainted with Jesus. And we are united on that. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about today. So we're going to unpack this Bible story in the book of Mark, chapter 2. It says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. 
and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to them a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in their spirit this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we welcome you here this morning. We pause and reflect that, yes, this is Mercy Student Takeover Day, but this is also your day, Jesus. We welcome you here in this room. Our hearts are open to receive this message you have prepared for us, and our minds are ready to receive um, a new understanding as what it means to be united together as one community under your name, Jesus. So it's in your name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. So when I unpack a Bible story like this, sometimes I have questions. First question I, have, I ask is, who are these guys? Who, who are these men? Where they come from? What's different about them? And some of these questions will never be answered. But sometimes what we can do is we can kind of see what's going on in a story and we can kind of come to some conclusions. The first conclusion that I come to is the fact that there are probably some young men involved here. How do we know this? Because it says right here in this passage, some men came bringing paralyzed men carried by four of them. Now I can come to this conclusion because I'm an old man that the people that are carrying those, that, the four men carrying that man are young. That's a young man's job. <laughs> Anybody 35 and older are thinking, hey, we need to recruit some young people because I'm not carrying that man. It's not like we're carrying a puppy. That's a man. I don't want to blow a hip or something. <laughs> and I know this so well because I do it with Mercy students. <laughs> We've got this game. The kids love it. I hate it. It's called Gaga Ball. The, yeah, see, we got some kids clapping over. They love this game. I hate it because this game is made with the heaviest wood in the world, bolted together with the heaviest screws known to man. And the one that we have at Mercy Road, is, it's portable. And so these planks are really, really heavy. We're going to try to fundraise for this one here. This is the one I want to get. Look how light it is. It looks like feathers. But the one we have is the wooden version, and you know, Trev, he'll look at me, he's like, hey, let's get the Gaga thing out. I'm like, no. So I procrastinate, and I wait, because we've got really great students here at Mercy Road, and usually we get a couple that'll show up early, and, and they'll come up to Trevor and I, and they'll ask, hey, is there anything we can do, anything we can help with? Well, now that you mentioned it, <laughs> can you go grab that Gaga ball pit? The four of you, go. Work together as a team. So we come to the conclusion that there are at least some young guys involved in this story because they're carrying this man, at least four of them. But then we can kind of come to the conclusion that there's probably some old people involved here. How do we know this? Because clearly they have a plan. 
Have you ever watched young people trying to make a plan? It's a little bit of a nightmare. It goes something like this, Trevor. Hey, Trevor, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't do? know. What do you want to do? Basically, if you hear the, the phrase, I don't know anywhere around this church, it's a bunch of young guys trying to figure out what to do. So we can come to the conclusion that there's probably some old guys involved because there was a plan and there was a purpose. And here's what unites them, the young and old. What united them was this, and here's our first point. They were united in their purpose. Get this man to Jesus. Get this man to Jesus. The second point is this. We see them united in a purpose. Second point is they were united in their efforts. United in their effort. They clearly had a task. They had something they wanted to do. They had this plan going together, but it only was successful because they were united in their effort. They all pulled together, got things done, united effort, and got this man to Jesus. And I'm not a big 80s movies guy, as we talked about, but it's, it's kind of cool that one of my favorite movies of all time is actually the movie Miracle. I haven't even seen it. it. It's about this USA Olympic hockey team back in the 80s who is trying to defeat the Soviet team who's been winning and dominating for 20 years. It's a long time. Long time. It's a long time. Long time. And so Coach Herb Brooks, this is what he does in this movie. Coach Herb Brooks, he goes all over the country, and he's trying, he's recruiting players from all over, trying to get them on this team to piece together a winning team to take down the Soviets and win the game. And so he gets these players from all over, and they come together. And from day one, day one, Coach asks them this question. He says, who are you, and who do you play for? Because there were some things that separated the team. There were some things that was dividing them because they had all this skill, all this talent, but what happened was that they were not successful. They were not winning games. And so in the very beginning, he's seeing that they're, that they're trying to be on the team for different reasons. One player, he's trying to just impress mom and dad. It was their goal, their vision, their dream for him to be on the team. Uh, so he's like, I'm going to be on this team. I'm going to do all I can. Another player, all he wants to do is he wants to impress the girls. He's sitting there on the bench, and he's looking up, and like, okay, third row, uh, two seats over, and he gets on the ice, and he's like trying to do like this slap and spin, and he's like, hey, he's trying to impress the ladies. Another guy, all he's trying to do is not impress the ladies, he's trying to impress the scouts. All he wants to do is get to the next level. And so each one of these players has a different motivation, a different thing that they're trying to accomplish. So some guys are like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just the goalie. All I do is stop the puck. That's it. Y'all do your thing, I'm just going to stop the puck. That's all I got to worry about. That's all I can think about. Another guy, all he's thinking about is, I'm just on defense. All I do is, is stop the puck. Y'all do your thing. I'm just like blocking it, maybe helping out the goal a little bit. All I'm doing is defense. Another guy, all they're trying to do is offense. Like, I carry the team. I hit the goals. I do all the cool stuff. I carry the team. I'm just focusing on that. And coach sees that they're divided in all of their different things. You see that they're divided in one main thing, and that's their core identity. They all have different motivations. Their efforts are clearly scattered, and Coach sees that they're focusing on their sole identity, and that was their colleges. So those two questions that Coach is asking them, he's asking them, who are you and who do you play for? So you ask one person, who are you? Who do you play for? He says, Jack O'Callaghan, Charlestown, Mass., Boston University. It's okay. Who do you play for? Rob McClanahan, St. Paul, Minnesota, University of Minnesota. 
all of their identity is, is stingent on their college or their position or their motivation. And that is just distracting them from winning the game. They can't do it. They're focused on their individual efforts. And I would be willing to bet that if we were to look at these people in Mark, if we were to look at these four guys or a group of them, whatever it was, four of these men, if we were to look at them and think that they were divided in any situation or any motivation, they would not have gotten this man to Jesus. So think about one guy. Do you think he was probably going, you know what, I just carry the mat. All I'm doing is carrying this mat, not really for a purpose. You guys take him and do whatever. I'm just going to carry him and drop him off here. Or another guy, he's like, you know what? Y'all carry this man. All I'm going to do is sit here and just dig this hole. So all I'm doing, I'm not making a difference. I'm just digging a hole. Y'all do your thing. Or the other guy, I'm not making a difference. I'm just holding the rope so this man can get lowered in. All, all I'm doing is this. I just hold the rope. I'll be willing to bet that they didn't think about that at all. They understood this one thing that Coach Herb Brooks in this movie was trying to accomplish to get them to understand is they all had a role on the team. Goalie, defense, offense, they all had a role. Carrying the mat, digging the hole, lowering the man down. They understood that they all had a role on the team and they all made a difference for their sphere of influence. And so for us, church, big thing for us to understand is we all have a role to play. We all are on the team. We all play a certain position, and that certain position isn't for anything scattered or without a purpose. Everything that we do on our role on the team is for the purpose of what? For the purpose to get people to Jesus. Colossians 3.1, great verse. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 3.23, I believe it says, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And these two verses, very important for us as a church. Since you have been raised with Christ, you are now on a team. When we give our lives to the Lord, we are now a part of God's team, a winning team. And now whatever we do, we look at things above and we're like, I want to do all these things for God's glory and not my own. I want to do things that help his kingdom and not my own. We all understand that we have a role to play on God's team. But there's things that divide us. And the one thing that we're talking about right now is multi-generations. And this has happened a lot in my life, and it's probably happened in your life, where there's a divide between the older generation and the younger generation. And you probably, maybe in your life, or you know somebody who's been church hopping or trying to find a church, they go to a church and they say this. They sit down, and they're watching, and they're engaged in worship, and then they end up leaving, and someone asks them, hey, what'd you think? And we'll say, this is the older generation. They go out and they say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if that church is for me. There's too much bass in that music. There's too much electric guitars. It feels a little bit youth groupy. It's not really for me kind of a young person's church. Or the other side of it, young person goes to church and says, hey, what did you think? Well, you know what? There wasn't enough bass in that worship. There wasn't enough electric guitars. There's too many old people. Doesn't work for me. That's an old person's church. I can't do it. There's this divide between the older generation and the younger generation because there's a lack of compassion for the next generation. And I'm not saying next generation like this up and coming. I'm not talking to anyone of a certain age. I'm talking to the church. This message this morning about unified community is for everyone from 6, 16 to 60. It doesn't matter how old you are. 
We need to be united as a community under one goal, set our hearts on things above, and understand we are on God's team with a role to play. And I think about in my life, when I was 18 years old, I was super on fire for the Lord, zealous for him, wanted to do anything I could to just express my love and my joy to him because he had changed things drastically in my life. Drastically, my family's life. And so I'm up front and I'm worshiping, doing all I can just to dance and lift my hands and praise him for all the good things he's done. And this little old lady changed my life, changed my understanding of what it means to be multi-generational community gathered around and worshiping the Lord. She comes up to me, kind of tears in her eyes, and she says, she says, you know what, Trevor? I love watching you worship. And part of me was like, you know what? I don't, I don't like that. I don't like to be watched when I'm worshiping. I'm just kind of doing my thing. But she said, I love watching you worship because I see your heart on fire for the Lord. And it reminds me of where I was and how I lost that track, and I need to get back to that. And I was, I was just in awe. It's like I didn't know I was making a difference in just worshiping. And that bridges the gap and it illustrates for me that there is a need for our next generation, our neighboring generation. And at the same time, I was visiting this church and trying to find a church when I was going to college. And I saw this, I went to this, we'll say it was an older church. And I see this little old lady who reminded me just as much of the one from my home church. She's up on stage and she doesn't have the greatest voice, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we sing a joyful noise to the Lord and he loves it and we love it. But this is the main point is I see her up on stage just arms raised, moving as best as she can, and she is just singing out with a reckless abandon, I love you, Jesus. And I needed to see that. My 18, 19, 20-year-old self, I needed to see that. Even now, 25, I need to see that because I need to know what it looks like to have 20 years, 30 years of a life devoted to Jesus. What does it look like to live a life full of love and joy to Jesus? Who can set that example for me? Who can set that example for the next generation? We need to see that so we can now take steps and implement that in our lives. So when we get later on down the road, 20 years from now, speaking solely out of wisdom so that we know what to say to people who are hurting. I think about for all the next generation, younger generation in the room, 20 years from now, what's gonna happen when you see somebody frustrated, when you see somebody hurt, when you see somebody broken? Somebody's going through just this painful situation. They're depressed. They're broken down. No hope whatsoever. And you think, I need to say something to them, something to lift them up because I know who Jesus is, but we're not going to know what to say if we're not being poured into right now. I think about in this church, what happens when we set our hearts on things above? We're not part of a team. We're not part of a team. And what does the team do? They inspire. They encourage. They lift one another up. They talk to one another. And so when people, when we'll say high schoolers come into the building, they're walking through, and we'll say they're like this, we'll say they're walking in, hand in the pocket, kicking around, no smile on their face, just kind of like, don't look at me, nobody look at me, nobody talk to me, do my own thing, I'm going to go sit down, do my thing. And we think, oh my gosh, this person's going through a phase. High schoolers, I can't imagine what's going on, they're going through a phase, I'm just going to let them be, they'll get through it eventually. But friends, there's no eventually if we don't step in and say, hey, how are you doing today? There's no eventually for the next generation. If we don't step in and say, hey, I see something in you. I see how God is working in you. Let's walk this road together. What can I do for you? There's no eventually if we don't step in. And these two situations bridge that gap, say we are now a part of one team, united together in our effort, in our purpose, and back to the, the story of, of, of Miracle, my favorite movie, there's this pivotal moment 
they had just tied a game. I don't know the repercussions of that if they were one loss away from the I don't know. But they just tied this game. And Coach Herb sees that their motivation and their identity were just completely wiped. They were gone, separated. And he says, hey, coach, get a whistle. Coaches get a whistle. And after the game, they start doing suicides, back and forth, back and forth, again, again. And the coaches are freaking out, like, you're going to hurt these players. They're not going to be able to skate tomorrow. What are you doing? You're out of your mind. The players are, like, just throwing up on the floor, pure exhaustion, can't hardly move, thinking their legs are going to fall off. And, like, this coach is crazy. But the one thing this coach is trying to do is he's trying to strip away all of the distractions in their life. He's trying to strip away everything, get them back to basics, and say, you are not a part of this college. You are not a part of this hometown. You are not who your past says you are. You are simply this. You are a kid on the ice playing for Team USA. And so this whole question that he was asking from the beginning to the end, who are you and who do you play for? Pure exhaustion. No one's known what to do. Coach is saying again, again, again. Coaches are like trying to not blow the whistle because they're thinking their kids are going to die on the ice. And the captain of the team, Michael Ruzioni, out of the silence and just breath, just pouring out, he shouts out, Michael Ruzioni! And everyone silences and freezes. He says, Michael Ruzioni, Charlestown, Massachusetts, wherever he's from. And the coach heard, looks at him, and he says, who do you play for? And he didn't say college. He didn't say a position. He didn't say a dream goal. He said, I play for the United States of America. And it was in that moment, in that moment where the coaches understood it, the players understood it, they all knew exactly what the coach was trying to do is to strip away everything, say you are one team, one purpose, one effort, united together. And so church, I ask you this question. Who are you and who do you play for? Set your hearts on things above. You have been raised with Christ, living life again with him. Who are you? And who do you play for? We have a role to play. Whether it's running a camera, opening a door, serving coffee with Mercy students, with Mercy kids, whatever it is, you have a role to play. And that role is making a difference, creating opportunities for people to come and know the Lord. Who are you? And who do you play for? Who are you and what team are you on? So Ben, who are you and what team do you play for? I'm a child of God. I'm a sinner saved by grace because of the amazing gift of Jesus Christ dying on a cross for me. Who do I play for? I live my life for Jesus. That's who I am. And if that's who you are, then you understand why these guys did what they did. That's the second question. When I read through this passage and I see the magnitude of, of what these guys had to, had to get through to accomplish their goal. This is a motivational speaker's dream, by the way. That, that's my other job. You know, for 25 years, I've traveled around to companies and schools and, and taught leadership and motivation and, and dedication and determination. And when I read this, I see all of that playing a role right here. 
These guys, it wasn't just about bringing a guy to Jesus. They had to endure the crowd. They had to figure out a way to get this man up on a roof. Then they got so passionate about what they were doing, they were digging holes in the roof, had to create some kind of an engineer type of a dolly system to lower them down. Why would they do this? Why would they go to such lengths? Because they were unified in their passion for Jesus. That's our third point. You see, when you experience the life change of Jesus, it does something to you. The Bible even says that. Anyone who's in Christ becomes a new creation. There's something different. You see, usually when good things happen in society, we don't like to share that. We don't. You know, it's something that we got to teach our kids when they're, when they're little, to share. Sharing is caring. Share, share. Billy, share your Legos. And pick them up when you're done. I'm tired of stepping on them. You know, when we get older, we don't, we, we, the society we're taught don't share the good things, but brag about them. We have no problem boasting about good things. Yeah, this is my huge, ginormous house, 10 rooms. I live there by myself. It's mine. This is my new flat screen TV. I got it from Wonka Vision. If you push some right buttons, the chocolate bar will come out for me. But when it comes to the good news of Jesus, there's something inside of you that says, tell somebody, share it with somebody. We can even see that in the first chapter of Mark, right before this particular passage, we see Jesus healing a leper. He heals this leper, and then he gives this leper some instructions. He says, hey, can you not you know, tell anybody for a little bit? Just Can you go into town, do A, B, C, and D, but don't tell anybody? But what does a man do? Runs into town and tells everybody, because he can't help himself because he's so passionate about this change, this thing that Jesus did inside of him that he wants other people to experience the same change. Will you unite in our purpose? Mercy students, some really cool things are happening. When I came on in March of 2020, we had 10 kids. We averaged 60 to 70 students right now. I'm glad you woohooed, but I want you to also understand about this woohoo, we need help. Woohoo. <laughs> we do. There's so many students that need engagement, not just from somebody, you know, Trev's age, but even guys my age. And, and, and you know, it doesn't matter what it is that you do as long as you make yourself available. You may not be that individual that says, hey, I could, you know, step into a small group and lead questions and things like that. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're the kind of person that can really make a really awesome macaroni and cheese casserole because we serve these kids food once a month and you could be a part of that. You may be a, an individual saying, hey, I, I don't talk very well on stage, but I'm a pretty strong dude. I'll carry that gaga ball pit. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to pray a scary prayer if God's working in your heart. Unite with our passion. If you want to make a difference in young people's lives, and you can, how? We'll figure that part out. They got these little cards. They're kind of cool. They're actually called connect cards. Will you connect with us? You just fill it out with your name, email, and address, and then on the back in big, bold letters, write Mercy Students. Only do this if you're really willing and ready to, to rock. Because here's the thing. If you put Mercy Students on the back there, Trevor and I are going to get with you. And here's the thing. When volunteers, when people tell me that they want to get involved with Mercy Students, I'm relentless. I will find you. <laughs> Those of you guys that are involved, you know that's true. I don't know how God can use you, but I know that he can use you. 
If you pray that scary, that scary prayer, God, use me. If you make yourself available, you may be working on cameras. You may stand up on stage and lead a game. You may be working with students. Heck, you could do something as much as being a prayer warrior for us. Trevor and I, we need your prayers. We need you to pray for us. That God would protect us. Not just us, that God would protect our kids. That God would give us the wisdom and the wherewithal so that we know how to lead these kids so that when they get older, they can look back and say, wow, look what they poured into me instead of, wow, look how they hurt me. We need this. We need prayer warriors. I had one of those in my life. Those of you guys that have seen me before, you know that another thing I do is I draw these big pictures. Maybe you saw me over Christmas. 25 years, I've drawn with chalk on a queen-size flat black bedsheet from Target for a living. It's a crazy job. And it's not something that I came up with on my own. I learned it from a man by the name of Bill Leach. Bill Leach was a performing artist for 50 years. I met him at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp. Instantly, we hit it off. One, because I love old people. I do. I'm going to admit it. I love hanging out with old people because they got great stories, and they typically eat whatever they want, and I'm a fan of food. Bill and I hit it off right away, and, and for a year, I kept trying to get Bill to show me how to draw things. and be like, Bill, show me how to draw a tree. Show me how to draw a mountain. And he all, he'd always say, hey, you'll figure that part out. Let's get more acquainted with Jesus. What is Jesus teaching you today? And we'd have what he'd call little rap sessions, and he'd love playing Frisbee. Even at 80 years old, the guy could throw a Frisbee amazing. We'd get in his car, we'd drive around to people's homes, and he would just pour into me. And I'd just sit there and listen. Well, like so many, Bill got sick. He was 80 years old and he was living in this cabin. He didn't have any family that we knew of. And so when he got sick, they said, hey, Bill, you can stay here for as long as you want. And so on this campground in Marshall, Indiana, in this small, teeny, tiny little cabin, Bill stayed. And everybody that knew and loved Bill popped by to share scriptures with him, to read to him, because the man loved Jesus. There's no debate. So I can remember last time I saw Bill. I brought my Bible. Back then it was the real, you know, like a, you know, and I'm flipping through it and I got it all underlined and I'm reading these passages to Bill and I'm looking over. I'm like, Bill, look, this is a good one. You ready, Bill? He give me a smirk. All right, Ben, bring it. And I'd read it to him and I got through maybe four of them and I could see he was getting tired. I figured it's probably best if Bill just gets some sleep and I start backing out of the cabin and before I get outside the door, he screams at me, he says, hey, Ben, before you go, is there anything I can do for you? Wow. I know. <laughs> I, I looked at him, I says, Bill, I'm here for you. What can I do for you, Bill? And this is what he said. First time I've ever heard it, never forgot it. Every time I shared it, it gets me. Don't rob me of the blessing, Ben. Don't rob me. I can pray for you, can't I? I sat with him for another few minutes and I gave him a list. And I walked out of his cabin and I knew that that man prayed for me because that was his thing. Will you unite in our passion? Will you unite in our effort? We got one purpose, that they would see Jesus. Pray with me. God, we love you, and we thank you for your love demonstrated through your son 
who died on a cross for each and every single one of us. And Lord, those of us in this room that have claimed that this gift, they know the change that I'm talking about. They know that this incredible transformation inside of our hearts and this desire to share this good news is something that is real. And maybe today, Lord, there's some people that have been just waiting and looking for an opportunity. Where can I share this? Where can I get involved? I'm not a speaker. I'm not a musician. Where can I get involved? Well, they can start with Mercy students. They can get involved here at the church with Mercy kids. They can just make themselves available to pray that scary prayer, God. And I say it's scary because it's one of the fastest prayers I know that you answer. And that is, God, use me. We thank you for the opportunity that you would do such a thing to use us, to point people in the direction of hope, salvation, grace, mercy, and love. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.